Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Good seeing you here this morning. Turn your Bibles to Galatians 4. We're going to be in Galatians 4. I know that Jason mentioned it, but our Life Talks podcast this past couple weeks, uh, I encourage you to go listen to it. We, one of the topics that Dan and I just have been discussing has been artificial intelligence and transhumanism. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about that, but the world in which we're living in is expanding in technology. And it, we, it's a question we have to ask is, how do we as Christians uh, view these kinds of advancements? And so I want to encourage you to go listen to those. I also recorded a podcast this week on how we as Christians uh, can, should navigate and walk out our faith during Pride Month. And so if you have questions about, you know, how do I do that in my workplace or my school or whatever it is, encourage you to go listen to that this week. That will be released, I believe, on Thursday. Um, on about three weeks ago, I was in Florida uh, at my grandmother's funeral. My grandmother passed away about a month ago. And she, she, I loved my grandmother's. It was my, uh, my mom's mom. And uh, she was a godly woman, loved Jesus, got saved later on in life, right in her 40s. And, uh, but just was always faithful, always strong uh, in, in just her love for Jesus. And um, so it was a great time of going down there and honoring her. She, the last 10 years of her life, yet she had dementia. So it was, very, it was a difficult time to see her you know, fade away in that slow process. But as we gathered three weeks ago to talk about her, to honor her, you know, we all share the stories. It was fun to reminisce about all the uh, the times in life that, that we had fun with my gram. And, and we all had stories with my grandmother about getting lost on trips. She, she was just one of these people that was born about 50 years too late because she needed GPS, man. Like, it didn't matter if you gave her a map. There, she would get lost in her own hometown. Like, she just constantly, if you ever were on a trip with my gram, you're just guaranteed add two hours because you were going to get lost. And that's just who she was. And we would just laugh about all the times uh, that we would get lost. And she would always say, every single time she got lost, we'd, we'd go to Podunkville, Pennsylvania or whatever. She'd be like, well, don't ever tell you. Don't ever say I never took you to this place. And that was her way of telling you, I've, I've taken you on these detours. And, and what I realized is we had these, these fond memories of these trips because of the detours. You know, we, I've been on many trips, many road trips from point A to point B that are just not memorable. But when you take a detour, I'll be honest with you, it, it kind of makes the, the journey better in a way because it, it reminds you of the story behind it. And, and detours are like that. Detours, I believe, sometimes make, makes the journey better because we could all laugh and we could all remember those times that we were detoured with my gram. Well, Paul takes a detour in this passage. You know, one of the things that we see here in Galatians chapter 4 is that Paul is laying out his argument. And if I could summarize for you this, the, 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 each chapter in the book of Galatians, remember Paul is writing this letter to a bunch of churches who are going through this theological crisis. Paul planted them with this true gospel message. And then there's these people coming in there teaching a false gospel. They're saying, you know, you got to go and you got to be circumcised and you got to add the law and you got to become a Jew uh, physically and internally. And, and Paul's saying, no, you're messing up the true message of Jesus Christ. It's not about outward conformity. It's not by obeying a list of rules. It's by placing your faith and trust in him. And so if I could summarize each chapter, chapter one of Galatians is all Paul saying, there's only one gospel. There's not two different versions. What I taught you, that's the real gospel. Chapter two, I would summarize as saying, listen, the gospel is better than the law. 
The gospel is better than the law. The good news of Jesus is so much better than the law that Moses gave to the Old Testament. The law could never save you. If I could summarize chapter 3, it would be that faith is better than works. It's by faith that you're saved. It's by faith that you're declared righteous. It's not by your works. You can't be saved by the works of the law. And so he's going over these, these principles. And in chapter 4, he begins this, this he, by the end of chapter 3, he, ends, he starts introducing this idea of the, being an heir of the promise. And Andy did a great job last week of describing that before us is this opportunity of either being a son of the promise or a slave of the law. That's the option. The theme of chapter four is you can be a son or slave, but that's the options that we have before you. The gospel or the law, faith or works, son or slave. And he's outlining this theological premise. Galatians is a heavy book. I'm sure over the last few weeks, you've been coming through here and some Sundays it's just like, wow, that was really deep. But what we're gonna do right now is Paul's gonna take a detour. In fact, if you read Galatians chapter four, If you took out verses 12 through 20, Paul's argument in chapter 4 about being the sonship or the slavery of the law, it it goes from verse 11 to 21 seamlessly. And so whenever you're reading the Bible, always keep an eye out for detours. Keep an eye out for like turns in the road of the argument or the things that's being talked about because it's telling you, hey, there's something significant here I want you to pay attention to. And Paul's going to take this detour because he's going to take a detour that says, listen, you and I, we, we have a relationship. You and I, we have history together, right? Remember, our, remember what we have together. What Paul is reminding these people, as much as Paul, you know, Paul the theologian, Paul the debater, that it's, it's going on the first few chapters, Paul's now going to take a detour and remind them he's Paul their friend. And Paul, their pastor, and he's saying this, yes, the truth is important. I want you to know the truth. I want you to believe the truth. I want you to, to hold on to the truth. But, but here's what we need to understand what Paul is doing. The truth is enough. The truth is enough to change anyone's life. But the truth when it comes with love is even better. The truth is enough. The truth is enough to change anyone's life, but when truth comes with love, it's even better. And here's the main idea I want to give to you, that, that, that loving others propels the pure gospel. Loving others propels the pure gospel. Listen, what we're singing in this room this morning, I mean, my heart was moved singing these songs. I love the songs we sang this morning. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just, I'm taking it all in. And I'm singing out, and I just love just thinking about what we have in Jesus Christ. That this idea that God, that Jesus loves us, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, that he conquered sin and death on our behalf, that we have the resurrection power now on our life so that we can overcome sin, that he's given us new life in Christ. He's given us the abundant life in Christ. He's given us eternal life in Christ. He's given us a fellowship of believers to belong to. We have this amazing gift that he's given to us. You're like, yay! I'm like, okay, why isn't it out there? Why does it not exist if we're so confident, if we're so, if we're so sure of what we have in this room and what we have in our lives? Why does it not translate out in our world? Why are we not seeing the love of Christ and the gospel go forward? 
And I believe one of the major reasons why the gospel remains hidden and why the gospel remains isolated from other people who need it is because we, as the followers of Jesus, who are partakers of the gospel, keep it hidden. We do not love others, and we do not build relationships with the people that need to hear the message. Paul lays out in this detour that he takes in verses 12 through 20, he says, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of the love I have for you. I want to remind you of the love you have for me. That yes, I'm, I'm, this argument I'm giving to you, this, the theological premises of chapters 1 through 4 are all true. They're all real. But don't you ever forget how much I love you. And we need to be reminded of that today because there are people around us that need to see the love of Jesus. Remember Jesus said, love the Lord your God, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second part is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also said that the world will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. There is something about love that opens up people's lives to receive the truth. And yes, it's important to have the truth. But what we've got to ask ourselves is, am I embodying the truth? Am I living out the truth in such a way? Am I loving others that it's propelling the gospel even further? That's what Paul does. And I want you to see this. Let's start in verse 8. We didn't read this. Melody didn't read this this morning. But I want you to see he's, he's continuing on his argument from verse 7. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who are by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid I, have may, I may have labored over you in vain. And it's almost like that last verse, verse 11, kicks off this idea where he's saying, he's, he's, he's laying out his argument of saying, don't go backwards, don't go to the law, don't go to these elementary principles. Stop, just go forward with the gospel. And then he begins verse 12, brothers, I entreat you. He, he begins by, by this, this affectionate term of brothers or brothers and sisters, I beg of you. That word beg means I'm desperate for you to know this. He begins with this, this, this appeal and he ends it with this, look at verse 19, my little children for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is forming you. Do you see and do you feel the emotion, the love, the relationship that Paul has here? I mean, he cares for these people. He loves them. And the reason why his argument, I believe, is going to be effective is because his argument for truth has been embodied with love. And if we want to make a difference in our world today, we want to make a difference to the people that we live next to and work besides and go to school with, we have to be modeling the love of Christ. So what does this look like? What does it mean to love others? If loving others propels the pure gospel, Paul lays out his own life of how he has done this, how he has loved others. And the first one we see is this, loving others means pursuing relationship. Loving others means pursuing relationship. Look again in verse 12. It says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Okay, that's a very, that's a very unique statement right there. 
Become as I am, as I have become as you are. What does he mean by this? What Paul is saying is, remember when I came to you, when I came to your city, I, I became as you were. I became as a Gentile. I didn't come to you as a Jew. I didn't come to someone as under the law. I came to you as someone outside of the law because I wanted you to receive what I had. I wanted you to receive the gospel. I didn't want to put anything in between me and you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pursued you. Now I want you to become like I am. The way that I was with you, I want you to be like that. I want you to get yourself out of this legalism, get yourself away from just trying to be like a Jew, and just get back to the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, just like I did. Paul was always someone, if you read about his, his uh, travels in the book of Acts, he was always, the only thing that mattered to Paul was that people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he was glorifying God with his life. I want you to see his heartbeat because this little sentence right here, become as I am, as I've become as you are, he explains what he, do, what he does when he goes into a new town in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can, turn that, you can turn there if you want to, but I'll read it. I believe the, the verses will be on the screen. But as Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church, listen to how Paul addresses how he approaches non-believers or people that need to hear Jesus when he goes to a city, new city. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Now, what is he saying here? Is, is Paul being a chameleon? Is Paul being just a people pleaser here? No, what Paul is saying is I contextualize my life. If I meet someone, the first thing I think about is how do I bri- build a bridge from, me, from my life to theirs. That's all Paul thought about. If this person really cares about the law, guess what? I throw on my law hat and I talk to him about Moses. I talk, about, talk to him about the law. Paul does this masterfully. We have two of his sermons in the book of Acts. The first one we see in Acts chapter 13 when he's preaching in a synagogue. And Paul's starting point is the law. Hey, you guys all know the law of Moses and Abraham. And he draws a line. The starting point is the law, but he draws a line to Jesus in the resurrection. Later on in Acts chapter 17, when Paul's in Athens and he's amongst a bunch of pagans and he goes there and does he start with Moses and the law? No, he says, listen, I see how religious you are, but we've been created by God. He begins with creation and their spiritualness. And he starts at that point and draws a line to Jesus in the resurrection. See, it didn't matter for Paul. He was, this is what he did. Whoever you are, whatever you believe, I'm going to figure out how I can connect to you and then draw a line from you to Jesus. That's what Paul did. And that's the invitation that we have. We have to ask ourselves, how are we building bridges into people's lives? Or do we just, we just love to isolate ourselves? It's, It's, I have my own life. I like to do what I like to do at night, Ben. I mean, some of you are like, Ben, stop preaching right now. You know, I, I, like, I like to go home. I like to put up my garage door. I like to pull in. And I like the garage door to go down. I like to go inside. I like to go to my back patio. I like to get a little drink. I like to sit there. I like to talk with my family. And I like to go inside. And I like to watch what I want to watch and do what I want to do until I go to bed. And that's what I will do every single day. 
And there's no, there's no margin in our room for anything outside of that. And I wonder if our American way of life is, is prohibiting this idea of building bridges. You know, one of the things that, that we're trying to really incorporate into the, the culture of our church is this idea of, of engaging in the Great Commission and living out this blessed strategy of building relationships. That bless stands for begin with prayer, listen, eat, or exercise, share or, or serve them, and then share Jesus, share the gospel with them. And we, I've been trying to practice that. My wife and I have been trying to practice that in our neighborhood. And, um, you know, we've got two neighbors on either side of us that do not like to talk to me. <laughs> Which some of you might be like, that's paradise, you know. But, but if I'm trying to live out this blessed thing, I'm like, Lord, please. And so, like, you know, if they ever want to talk to us, it's like the Scott... Jesus is listening to my prayers. And the other day, my wife was talking to uh, the, the wife over there, and they start talking, and they both, you know, they want to start, you know, ha- you know, doing bees and having bees and having beehives. And, you know, Liz and I, we kind of do the, the homesteading thing. We've got a nice garden. We've had chickens. And so we've, you know, we're not opposed to having bees, but I just look at this as the opportunity. Liz is like, hey, they want to do bees. Let's invite them over to Bill and Brenda Lord's house, and we can start building this. Rela- this is the open door. And I'm like... Okay, we're going to have bees now. You know, to, to, to be people, I became a bee person. That's what Paul's saying, right? He, he's, he's saying because, why? Because the only thing that mattered was that he, he didn't put any obstacle in way of the gospel. And so I'm over at Bill and Brenda's house the other day, and they're talking to me about what it's like to have bees. And I'm just like, okay, all right. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the honey. It's the whole suit and singing thing that I'm not too hot about. But you know what? I'm, Liz and I are going to do this. And you know why we're doing it? Because it will build a bridge to our neighbors. That's why I'm doing it. And that's, that's the kind of opportunities we have to ask ourselves, are we aware? And in God, am I available? Or do I like to have my own little isolated existence of my own life doing my own things, talking to my own people. That's not how we love others. We'll never be able to display the love of Christ just living in our own confines of our own neighborhood, our own homes. We've got to start reaching out. We've got to start building bridges into people's lives. That's number one. We've got to pursue relationships. Number two, loving others means vulnerability. Loving others means vulnerability. Look what Paul talks about in verse, the end of verse 12 to, thir- to uh, verse 15. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment. And really, in the Greek, that means of a physical weakness. It was because of a physical weakness, of a bodily ailment, that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me. As an angel of God, or I think a better translation is as a messenger of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. What is Paul saying here? Paul is, he's, he's pulling back the veil. We don't know all the details of how Paul started these churches. But we, we must know this, that Paul says, I was on my missionary journey. And I had a problem. Now, what we can understand, what we can surmise from the details he's giving in this letter, he had a physical problem with his eyes. 
Paul always had an issue with his eyes. We can see that throughout the scriptures. You know, we see, first of all, his coming to Christ came from a vision that blinded him, put scales on his eyes. We don't know if there's a repercussion of that. We also know that there's a, 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 a thorn in the flesh from 2 Corinthians 12 that he received that, that, that did him uh, put a physical boundary on him, that he pled for God to take it away, but he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. It could have been his eyesight as well. And another part in his letter, he says, I'm writing this part with such big letters so you can tell it's me. Paul had an issue with his eyes. And, and it must have happened as he was stopped in this city that he was at, that his eyesight, the problem with his eyes, whether it was an infection of some kind or some other ailment, that it opened up the door for him to share the gospel with someone. I don't know if it was, hey, I need to talk to eye people, and all these eye people started coming, and now he starts sharing the gospel, but he, this is what we know. This, this physical weakness that he had opened the door for the gospel. Paul wasn't like, I don't want anyone to know I have any problems. I, I, I want to wait till my eye problem is fixed, and then I'll go out and talk to people, because I, I don't want people to see me like this. I mean, if, if he had one of these diseases, it could have been this disease where pus flows from your eyes. That's not, I mean, I'm telling you, if I have pink eye, I'm calling Dan, like, Dan, I'm not preaching today. Right? I don't, I don't want anyone to see my pink eye. I don't want anyone to see. I'm pus oozing from, like, can you imagine that being the issue? And Paul's like, hey, hey, pus means opportunity. He, he, he was like, I, I don't care how people see me. He was, he was whatever, whatever vulnerability was in his life, he opened the door and said, this must be from God, for the opportunity to share Jesus with someone. That's the way he thought of it. You know, when I think about how we live our own lives, we are so self-protected. Vulnerability is not easy for us. And, and what I know about vulnerability is vulnerability begets Vulnerability. You know, for 13 years, my wife and I, we hosted a life group in our home when we were at our other church, and, and it was a wonderful experience. We got to know so many different kinds of people. We planted so many churches, or so, so many groups outside of our group. We multiplied many times, and it was interesting to see as people would come in and out, um, how the, the vibe of that group would change. And, and what I can tell you is there would be times when people would come to the group and they wanted the connection because that's the whole reason why you do these things. They would want the connection, but one of the things that they would do is when it got time to sharing, is like, how's your life? And they would say, oh, I'm great, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. And people that where their life is always fine, there's nothing wrong in their life, it's really hard to get to know them. They don't even feel real. But when you're in that moment, when you're in that, you know, you, maybe you've experienced that before. You're in a group, and you're just kind of having a regular Bible study, and then someone opens up and says, man, I am really struggling with this. What happens in that moment? What happens to the dynamic in that group? Well, if someone's not a jerk and says, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Now, that's, you know, if someone says, man, th I'm struggling too. And vulnerability opens up Vulnerability. And what Paul showed with his weakness, as he opened himself up, he was saying, listen, I, I want you to see me like this because I know this, this is going to open up a door for the gospel. And what I have learned is that people don't, people outside the church don't need to see Christians as super people that never have problems, that never have struggles. They need to see our own vulnerability. They need to see our own weaknesses because they need to see how we handle those things. 
You don't think people have problems? You don't think people have struggles? Everyone has struggles. But, but if when we open up our own lives to say, man, this is my struggle, but this is how I'm walking with God through it, it's going to open up doors for the gospel. I think one of the things that, that we do is, listen, when I talk about vulnerability, this is challenging for so many of us. It's, it's hard for me. Because you know what's normal, it's natural for us? Self-protection. A facade. I put on Facebook what I want people to see. I come in even to rooms like this of a spiritual nature, and I want people to see what I want them to see. So whether it's the facade or their self-protection, because maybe there was a time in your life that you were vulnerable. You did lay yourself out and say, hey, this is who I am, and you got stepped on, and you got hurt. That's hard to think about being vulnerable again. But, but one of the things that I know is that vulnerability opens up opportunities for the gospel. You know, I, I, I've seen this in my life over the years, especially in ministry working with people. And self-protection is a real thing. But, but there's something that I've learned over the years of, of my own life and walking with other people, and that is this. Self-protected people do not experience love can't because you're protecting yourself from pain and to be vulnerable and open yourself up means that you have the opportunity for rejection or you have the opportunity for for some kind of hurt loving others means i'm opening myself up for the possibility of rejection that's just the that's just the way loving relationships go and some of us are so scared to do that but but i i want I want to tell you something. As much as I've seen self-protection keep people from love, I've also seen this in my own life and people around me, and maybe you've experienced this yourself. The very things of our life, the very parts of our story that we want to cover up are the parts of our life that God wants to use the most to tell others about Jesus. That's what God does. The parts of our life that we want to, I don't want anyone to see this part of me. I don't want anyone to know this part of my story. Those parts that we try to cover up and keep hidden, I believe are the very parts of our life that Jesus says, no, that's what I want to use. Because people that have that issue, that problem, need to believe there's hope, need to believe there's healing. And Paul was vulnerable with these people enough, and and as his vulnerability was exposed, look what it did to even the audience. Look what it did to the Galatians. It said, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Yeah, I get it. Vulnerability opens you up to harm. It opens you up to hurt, but also opens you up to love. And maybe God's telling you, there's, you you're too self-protected. It's time for you to open up your heart again to others so that the gospel can go forward. That's number two. Number three, loving others means speaking the truth. Loving others means speaking the truth. Look at verse 16. For have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Simple question, a rhetorical question. You know, what Paul's saying is, listen, I'm not your enemy here. This is a great question for you to remind yourself every single day when you live out your life in the public square. You're not someone's enemy by telling them the truth. When you speak the truth, Remember, and I think this is a perfect little interjection here as we're talking about love and we're talking about relationships and we're talking about vulnerability. And here's what I know about everyone in this room. On a sliding scale, some of us are very, you know, truth tellers and some of us are like 
connectors. You know, some of you love to connect to people, and you're just, oh, I just, I want to build relationships with as many people as possible. And some of you are just like, man, I, I just want to tell the truth. And it might even be in different environments. I know for me, when I'm here at church, and I'm, I love meeting people, I love talking to people, I'm a huge extrovert. I don't go out in the lobby because they make me do it. I go out in the lobby because I genuinely like talking to people. I love doing that. But I turn into an introvert when I pull into my driveway. And, and my wife is out there, you know, whenever I see my wife, you know, she's at the friends talking to her neighbors, I'm like, oh, no. I've got to talk to more people. You know, I can, I can have this, you know, vibe of, of depending on the environment of all of a sudden I want to pull back. But, but some of you, some of you talking about this relationship thing, hey, building a relationship, loving others, you're like, oh, this is painful. But when it says, hey, speak the truth, loving others means speaking the truth. You're like, hey, I can do that. I love doing that. And what I, I, I believe this, this, I'm so thankful that Paul reminds us that, again, we can never compromise the truth for the sake of connection. Okay? A lot of times we believe that, that, that relationships and speaking the truth to people is like some either or option to us. Like, I can either be really loving and really kind and, and be very outgoing and build bridges into people's lives, or I can be a truth speaker to people and tell people what they've done wrong. And I believe that's a false dichotomy. I believe, again, Jesus came in John 1. He came full of grace and truth. Never compromise. It wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. No, it was 100% grace, 100% truth. It says in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. We've got to learn how to do both. And what this does, it, it, this, is, this one question is a, is a confrontation to both kinds of people. Am I going to build just relationships to just for the sake of connection and never declare the truth, never declare the gospel? Or I'm just going to be someone who tells the truth and I don't care, you know, I don't care about human connection. We are both confronted with saying, how am I going to live this out the way Jesus did? The way Paul did. You're not someone's enemy by telling the truth. And I think one of the dangers is when we, when we fail to tell the truth to people, we're not really being authentically who we are. We're appeasing people. And we're trying to say, well, I, I could say something, but I'm not going to because I don't want to offend. And when we do that, what that does is it keeps that person from really knowing the fullness, our authentic self. And that's not, that's not really being genuine and that's not really being loving. And so, so loving others means speaking the truth. Finally, loving others means passion and patience. Loving others means passion and patience. Look how Paul kind of concludes this detour. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may, may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. He's saying right here, listen, these people that are coming in and they're going to teach you this false gospel, they're just using you. They're using you in a way. They're going and they're telling you, hey, you got to believe this thing, and they're going back. They don't care how you live after that. They're just going back to Jerusalem to brag about, hey, we got X amount of people to be circumcised. We got X amount of people that are going to start following the law of Moses. It wasn't about them. And Paul's saying they're using you to get to make themselves feel better. But for me, man, I 
I love you. I am, I am with you. I want you to have this good experience, have a good purpose. Not only when I'm present with you, saying I think about you even when I'm not with you. I care about you not when I'm just present with you. That's my genuine care and concern. And look how he, he says in verse 19, my little children from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul, again and again in his letters, uses the analogy of parenting and bearing children as an analogy of how he feels about the churches that he started. And he's using this illustration that is very graphic, that's very vivid, that many of us, in the, many of you in this room can relate to. All right, I, I've, I've experienced childbirth from a watching it, okay? Those of you, those women, you know, moms in this room that have, have, that have bore children from your bodies, when you hear this, the anguish of childbirth, you have memories. Your body knows what that feels like. And Paul is using this as an analogy. He says, this, this is how I feel. This is how I feel about you. That this, is, this is about this passion I have for you. And, and the reason I use patience is because the analogy of childbirth is a, it's a patient, you've got to be patient. You know, the moment you find out you're having a child, it is a long nine months. I remember when we first found out that we were pregnant with our firstborn, Jaden, and just that, that how this, oh my goodness, this is going to change our life. And Liz and I, we, we bought that book, uh, What to Expect When You're Expecting. And we also bought this other book that would tell you every single day and week what was, how your child was forming in your womb. And we sat there every night. We're just so excited. I just, I'm so impatient in life and I just could not wait. And the due date's coming. You have the little calendar and you're marking off the calendar, the X's. And sure enough, Due day comes, that little guy was like, I am comfy and warm in here. Leave me alone. And if you, you know, almost a week goes by, finally my wife's water breaks and we're going to the hospital. And I'm like, here it is. Well, guess what? It did not come. And it was slow and it was arduous and it was inducing labor. It was painful. It was difficult. 24 hours my wife was in labor. It was hard. And eventually she had to rush her in to get a C-section. And it was, but, but all, when it, the anguish of childbirth is very real. It's very real. But there's something about that anguish that turns to joy the moment they place that child in your arms. And Paul is using this analogy to describe how he feels about them. And, and I just have to wonder, I just have to ask, is that how you feel about those around you? Do you have that same kind of passion for people in your, you know, your life group, your Bible study, your own home, to see Christ formed in them, your friends, your neighbors, the people who are outside the church, do you have the type of love that you're saying, I am in anguish to see you? One of the things I see in my own life that I had to be confronted, I'm reading this this week, and I'm like, I'm confronted. I don't care if there's anyone else in this room today, I'm preaching to me right now, Okay? I think many times in our lives, the relationships we have with others are primarily transactional. What I mean by that is we have a relationship with them because of things that we get from them. And the moment I stop getting something from them is the moment I end the relationship. 
How many relationships do I have where I'm pursuing, where I'm vulnerable, I'm not getting anything back? Because, you know, the, the ch- childbirth is, is, is ang- the anguish of childbirth. What Paul's saying is the reward for me is seeing Christ formed in you. The reward for me is not that you like me more. The reward for me is not that, you, you know, you listen to me more than you listen to them. He's removing himself from the equation. He's saying, I love you so much. I have this passion for you because I'm thinking about what Christ can do in your life. We have to ask ourselves, how many of the people that we have in our lives, all the relationships we have in our lives, how many of them are there because of what they give to us or what they can do for us as opposed to what I'm going to pour out to them? This confronts our culture this idea of, of utilitarian relationships and transactional relationships. And so, so this, is, this is what we are confronted with today. Am I loving others? Because loving others propels the pure gospel. And, and as I conclude our time together, as I was thinking about this, I, I can't help but think, you know, there's something about being inspired by Paul. Look at Paul's example and, and maybe the moment of inspiration of Paul's modeling of this does do something for us to say, yeah, you know what? I need to love others like this. But I will tell you this. There will be a limit to the way you love others based on how much you have received and how much you understand and how much you know that Jesus loves you. Because you know who really did this perfectly? Paul did it in a, you know okay fashion. But you know who really pursued relationships first and foremost? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who incarnated himself to build a bridge to you. He's the one that pursued you. Jesus is the one that became ultimately vulnerable by laying his life down and and letting himself be beaten and mocked and and tortured for us, for our sake. Jesus Jesus is the one who, who came full of grace and full of truth Leading not just, not just looking for a connection, but also looking to give us the hope and the truth that we needed. And Jesus was, was the one who had the ultimate passion, who had the ultimate patience with us, who experienced not just the anguish of childbirth, the anguish of the crucifixion, the anguish of death, so that you and I may be formed in Christ. We will never be able to love anyone unless we understand the way Jesus loves us. Our capacity to love can only go, be, go as far as our understanding of how much Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me. And the more I'm filled with that, that knowledge of the love of Christ, the more I see what he has done to love me and to pursue me, then and only then and am I able to love the way Paul loved I don't want you to be inspired by Paul. I want you to see how Paul did this because he was so filled with the love of Jesus. He was able to do this because he knows knows how much Jesus loved him. And there's gonna be people in our lives that are hard to love. This is difficult, this is challenging, but in a world that is broken, a world that is dark, a world that is wicked, a world where there's sin that's rampant, what the world needs to see is our love. Love propels the gospel. And that's what confronts us today. Four questions, then I'm done. Number one, are my relationships transactional or are they rooted in love? How many of my relationships are merely transactional and how many of them are rooted in love? That's a great question. 
to ask yourself this morning. Number two, who am I pursuing? Who has God put in your life that's saying, hey, I want you to build a bridge to them. I want you to pursue them. I know it's not easy. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take patience. But I want you to build a bridge. That's, that's number two. Number three, who are you afraid of? You know, we're talking about this building relationships. And maybe you have a great connection with people, with someone, but maybe you are not fully yourself and really loving them fully because you're keeping the truth from them. And who is that person that you just kind of adapt to and you're not your true self, your true follower of Jesus? Who's that person that needs to hear the truth from your mouth, from your lips? And then number four, who needs more patience and passion from me? Who, that person that, that really, the, the pain, the anguish of childbirth, man, that is, that's a real picture. And there, there's, some, there's some people in my life that need a lot of patience, and I, need, I just am starting to distance myself from. All of us, every single one of us has someone in our life that's hard to love. And we need to be reminded of what do we want. Is it about what we're receiving or what, what we're praying and, and pursuing them to see Christ formed in them. The world needs to see and experience the love of Christ. Your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, people in this own room, they need to experience the love of Jesus. Will you be that avenue of love? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There's a lot, there's a lot we could say. There's a lot I, as I conclude this, our time together, I just think about that song we first sang when we walked into this room that ended with this, this invocation of speak, Lord, speak, Lord, speak, Lord. What's, what is God speaking to you? What is the spirit of God moving in your heart today? What is he saying to you? Is he telling you, hey, there's this person that you need to, you need to pursue. Here's this person that you're trying to distance yourself. You start, you know, loving them. Maybe there's a name, there's a person, there's a picture of someone in your life that God's saying, this is what it's like to love others, to propel the gospel forward. You know, you might be sitting here in this room and everything we're talking about, the love of God and the love of Christ sounds compelling, but you've never experienced it yourself and you don't understand how God can love you and forgive you and have a relationship with you. And I want to invite you to something today that if you want to know more about what it means to, to receive the love of Christ, to know for sure of his love and to know for sure that if you were to die today, you would spend eternity with him. Come talk to someone. I'd love to talk with you. We have a prayer team out in the lobby. Maybe, maybe what you need to do right now as we sing this last song is reflect and fill your heart with the love of Christ so you're capable of loving others this week. Whatever God's calling you to do, let's be faithful to obey. Father, as we pray right now, as we're about to have this moment of response, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have your way in us, that we would listen, that God, we would love, fill our hearts and our minds with the power of your love. Perfect love casts out fear. We need to understand the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love that surpasses knowledge so that, God, we can go out there and model what the world cannot see and cannot understand apart from you. 
God, make us as a church known by our love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.